Welcome to the Bluff First Podcast. Join us as we journey together through the book of 1 Peter in our current series entitled Living Hope. We pray that this message will encourage and enrich your life. For more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com. Um, if by chance you have snuck in and I didn't get a chance to meet you yet, my name is TJ and I'm one of the pastors here and delighted to have you uh, with us. Um, we, uh, we are continuing a series we've been in called Living Hope. So if you're here this morning and you haven't been a part of it, we're going to jump right in. Uh, if you're listening online on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Facebook or whatever, uh, welcome, welcome. Anyway, you're here. We're glad you're here. I told a story a couple weeks ago about um, seeing a young man from our church. He just started coming to the church, and I saw him out in public at his uh, place of employment, and I was talking to him, and he didn't recognize me, and then he said that he didn't recognize me without my microphone on, which is pretty funny. Um, and uh, truthfully, one of the scariest things about this microphone, I used to use a little handheld. I switched to this one because my hands are free. I like that. But one of the scariest things about this thing is forgetting to turn it off. It's happened on numerous occasions. And, you know, one time I made it all the way to the lobby, having a lobby conversation. Um, and they're in here singing a song. And my lobby conversation was coming through the speakers. Praise God, it was a harmless conversation, right? Just something about my daughter or whatever. But another time, I don't think anybody in the room caught it, but my mic was still on um, for the live stream. So if you were watching or listening online, you may have caught it. I preached a sermon that morning, and um, Pastor Max was standing in the back, and I, I got done preaching, and I gave the response call, and I walked to the back, and I walked up to him, and I said, that was so bad. And it was there for all of, <laughs> all of Facebook to hear. And some people commented, amen, on the live stream. Um, but as we are studying 1 Peter, if you would find 1 Peter, we're going to be in chapter 3. Uh, we've only been studying 1 Peter for about 12 years now, feels like. Um, but what Peter has been telling us the last few weeks is this, that the mic is always on. That you don't have an opportunity to mute your life. The world is watching how you respond to negativity, unfairness, injustice, how you uh, respond to your government, your boss, your employer, your spouse, as we looked at last week. And if you missed last week and you're married or ever planning to be married, I don't very often plug our own sermons, but I would encourage you, go back and listen to last week as we talked about some of the misconceptions about what the Bible says about submission in marriage. Um, but, but Peter's been telling us, the world is watching how you respond to all of these things. You claim to be a Christian. How do you act when you're treated unfairly? Are you humble? Are you kind? What does the mic pick up? You know, I am a, a huge Chicago Bears fan, and it's painful, but I love the Chicago Bears, and it's 13 days until the preseason kickoff. I see the count every day, and like nobody cares about the preseason except me. I don't even think the coaches care about the preseason, but I care. I'm ready for football. Anybody ready for football? I'm just ready for football. And football food, you know, it's like it's just better. Rotel is better with football. And so um, I love when they, every once in a while, they post these videos where the players are mic'd up. Right? Normally you just see the field and you might hear a little bit about the quarterback yelling or whatever, but for the most part you just hear the announcers. But then they'll post these clips where they're mic'd up and you hear the players joking around about whatever. But how many of you guys know that those clips are heavily edited? Right? 
That there's no channel where you can just watch live, unfiltered, mic'd up players. That would be pretty dangerous. There's things that are said that they don't want you to hear. In fact, even the live game that you watch has a delay on it, right, of a few seconds. You might notice every once in a while you're watching a game and there's a controversial call and the audio cuts out on your television for a moment or two. That's for the kids at home because something was said that maybe should not have uh, been said. You and I do not have this liberty. We do not get to edit what people see and hear in our lives. We don't have the opportunity to just you know, put out, and we do this on social media, we put out the best version of ourselves, but the people that are close to us, man, the mic is always on, right? Your kids, I, I've talked about Staley recently, man, I didn't realize how often I said, oh my gosh, until I told her not to say, oh my gosh, and now she's the, oh my gosh, police, right? And she catches me every single day. And she says, she catches me on other things, like, like she'll, she'll say, I'll say, hey, go do this, and she'll say, I don't care. Well, she'll get in trouble for that, you know, we don't say that. Well, then later on, Brooke's like, what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, I don't care. She's like, daddy, you said I don't care. You know, she's on top of it. Um, but just like her, the whole world is watching us. The mic is up, the mic is on all the time. Let me say it this way. I don't mean to trigger any of you that have had some negative experiences here, but let me say it this way. The world is a courtroom, okay? The world is a courtroom. Some of y'all been in a courtroom. We've all, you know, we've been there, right? The world is a courtroom. You have a jury of your peers selected, watching your life, Every move, every word. Now that's a lot of pressure, and I know you're not going to be perfect. But the question is this, what kind of story are you telling? What kind of testimony are you giving to this jury of your peers? The world is watching. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. The next four or five verses, as we've been going through this series, Living Hope through 1 Peter, Peter summarizes and encourages us again in what we've already talked about in watch how you live because other people watch how you live. That's what he's been saying all throughout chapter two and three, that listen, outsiders are watching your life. Your good deeds could lead to them turning to Christ themselves. So watch how you live in response to your government, even when it's unfair. Watch how you live in response to your employer, even when they're not good to you. Watch how you live to your spouse, even in a culture that that may not value them the way that God's word does. He's been telling us these things over and over and over. And then he says, Finally, and he doesn't mean finally I'm done. You guys know when a preacher says in conclusion, right, or as we close, they don't mean it, right? Um, And so Peter says finally. Well, there's more chapters to this letter. He doesn't mean finally. He means again. Let me just say it again. Let me say it a different way. All of you with this watching world have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, when you want to, when you feel like, man, you could get even, instead, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And then he encourages us with this, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. You and I have been made righteous in Christ's blood if we are Christians The eyes of the Lord are on us, and his ears are open to their prayer. How many are grateful we don't have a God that is distant and disinterested, but we have a God and we have his attention? Isn't that awesome? It's awesome and scary, right? Because the world is watching, but so is he. 
and his eyes are attentive, his ears are open. And then look at this. We get the eyes and the ears, but the whole face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter gives us tips on how to live in an effective way to outsiders. How do we make our case in front of this jury of our peers? And he gives us some reminders. We're going to fly through these. What do some of these things mean? What is he emphasizing here? He says, have unity of mind. How many understand um, we live in a world that has lots of different points of view? If I were to take a poll this morning and just ask the church here, hey, what kind of songs would you like us to sing here? How would you like the preacher to dress How dark would you like the coffee to be roasted? Is the temperature okay? Right, like we would get a lot of different opinions. Peter's not saying have the same opinions. He's saying something else. What does it mean to have unity of mind? That means that in diversity, with all these different points of view, we are single-minded about the main things. Okay, so I can like this type of song and you can think, man, I need a fan in here and you can think I need a sweater, right? We can have all these different expressions, but when it comes to the gospel and the main thing, the tomb is empty and people need hope and people need God and we have a mission and and we're here to reach people and we're going to preach the truth, like those are things that we ought to have single-mindedness, unity of mind about. Then he says, sympathy. Sympathy. And this is not just pity, okay? This is feeling what other people feel. This is, if we were supposed to have the same mind, we are also supposed to have the same heart. One preacher said that sympathy is your hurt in my heart. What doesn't affect me and affects you now affects me because of sympathy, because I care for you. And keep in mind, Peter's addressing the church, so this is how we ought to care for one another. We, we set aside our opinions and preferences on some things. We have the same mind about the most important things, and we have the same heart. Scripture says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. Whatever you're feeling, I'm feeling. How many know in your household... If somebody gets a raise or a promotion or accepted into college or whatever, everybody's celebrating, right? It's not a competition. And similarly, if somebody in your house gets injured or gets fired or doesn't make the team or whatever, gets dumped, everyone's feeling for them. Everyone's sad. It doesn't feel exactly the same as the person going through it, but everybody cares. This is a picture of what the family of God is supposed to be like. And that doesn't happen without us being in relationship and knowing each other enough to know, hey, you interviewed for that job. How did it go? You got the job. Praise God. You didn't get the job. That's okay. I'm with you. This is the sympathy Peter's talking about. And then he says brotherly love, right? The world, Jesus said, will know that you're my disciples by how you feed the hungry. No, that's not what he said. The world will know by how you worship and sing and lift your voice. That's not what he said. He said, the world will know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. They're going to be drawn in when they see the way that you love each other, even with different points of view. Brotherly love. The world will know us by our love. And and the inverse of that is true. The world just turns the channel off and doesn't want anything to do with the church when they only see our bickering, when they only see our complaining. Let me encourage you, sometimes as we grow in our 
faith and our understanding of the Bible and our theology or whatever, it is easy for us to puff up with arrogance and see you know, some of the things we used to believe and we used to listen to or whatever, see how foolish those things were, and rather than focus on encouraging the body of Christ, simply try to tear down the expressions that we thought were foolish. Let me discourage you from doing that because a watching world doesn't really care about our denominations and our theological things. They group us all together. And so when you have something to say about this TV preacher or this silly Christian book or this bad Christian band, all they hear is they don't even like each other. Why would I want to be a part of that? You ever like hired a a contractor or a plumber or something, and they come in, and I'm not knocking those guys because we, we have them among us, but they come in, they look at what the situation is, and they go, man, whoever was here last time, he really did a number on this. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to fix this, right? And they fix it, and a couple years later, you have a different problem, and you can't find that, that plumber's number or whatever. You call a different one, and they come out, and they look, and they go, sheesh. man, whoever did this, don't worry though, I'm going to fix it. What happens eventually? You don't trust or believe any of them, right? So let us not be guilty of just tearing down the body of Christ that may have its defects. Let us limit that to our sphere of influence. Listen, I'm responsible for the people and the leaders of Bluff First. If there's an error, then I have to address it at times, but, but that's in my wheelhouse, right? I'm not responsible for what happens across the street or across the country or some preacher on YouTube. That's, that's not really, I mean, it's one thing to defend the gospel. We'll defend the gospel and we'll stand up against false teaching. But, but it's a whole other thing to just make a joke and minimize all this different stuff. The world is watching. They want to see us love one another, okay? Ephesians says, don't let anything come out of your mouth except that which builds each other up. And then Peter says, have a tender heart, not a tender app. Have a tender heart, okay? A tender heart. It's easy in church to get numb and cold to people because people, how many of you guys know this? People are problematic. I know this because I is people, and I is problematic. People have problems. And listen, in ministry, like, it's very easy for this to just be another benevolence case, another prayer request, another disaster, another hospital visit, another marriage that's on the rocks. And it's very easy to get exasperated by that stuff and to have a numb heart. But Peter says we have to remain tenderhearted. And I think the way that we do that is to be constantly putting ourselves in one another's shoes. Right, So we're going to have the same mind about the main things. We're going to have the same heart. We're going to have a brotherly love because we're part of the same family. And then we're going to remain tender because we look at other people and we don't look down from an ivory tower, but we realize I could be in the same exact spot. Don't ever get to a point that you look at somebody else and look at their sin and think, oh, I would never do that. And you know what? Some of it's true. Like, I, I, I'm confident at 35 years old, I'm not going to slip right now into an extreme drug addiction. I, I know I'm not going to, okay? I know I'm not going to. But that's the grace of God on my life and a lot of circumstances that I had nothing to do with. You put me in a different place, a different family, different friends, different internal struggles, different chemicals in my brain. I'm not above anything. 
All of us are capable of great sin. And listen, all of us commit great sin. Don't think, well, my sins doesn't compare to that. So all of us, our, our, our best works are filthy rags, Paul says. And so we can have a tender heart when we look at other people and we say, that could be me in the street. That could be me that blew everything. That could be me with that big public failure. Look, I don't ever look at preachers that fall and stumble, even the ones that I kind of had a feeling about and didn't like very much to begin with. I don't ever look at them and rejoice and go, see, I knew it. I look at them and I tremble because it could be me. Man, God help us to stay tender towards one another and then to have a humble mind. Peter says, have a humble mind. He already said, have the same mind. Here's a good way to have the same mind. Have a humble one. If all of you are putting each other first and not thinking of yourselves too much or too highly, it's a lot easier to have unity, right? I would much, I would much rather be in a relationship where it's, no, you hang up, no, you hang up, than both of us hanging up on each other all the time, right? We want to prefer one another and not have to impress each other, not have to try to puff ourselves up. You know, I was trying one time to impress the people that I worked with. I wanted them to think I was a little more physically active than I was, you know, despite the mountain of evidence. I wanted to, because, you know, if you're trying, like, everybody respects that, right? Like, it doesn't matter what you look like. If you're like, oh, you went to the gym, good for you, you know? They're rooting for you. So I was like, man, how could I impress these people without lying, you know, technically and and so I had this dog, and I thought, man, I walk the dog every day, but we don't walk very far. And so I started calling the dog two miles. So I started, going, I started telling people, yeah, you know, before work this morning, I, I walked two miles. <laughs> really? Good for you. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. I walk two miles every day. I might walk two miles after work, you know? Just walk two miles. And sadly, this morning... Before church, I ran over two miles. So <laughs> it's a joke, okay? It's a joke. Some of you are like, huh? You'll get it eventually. Ask, ask your wife, okay? No animals were harmed in the making of this sermon. It's just a joke. We don't have to impress people. We don't have to lie about our. And listen, sometimes that's all our social media is. It's just a lie about us. Look how much I have it together. Look at this perfect family. Look at this spotless house. Look at this workout. We don't have to do that. Peter says, look, you want to impress the world. You don't have to be impressive. Love each other. Be humble. That's impressive. So we have the same mind about what matters most. We have the same heart. What, what affects you affects me. We we're part of the same family. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're tender by remembering we could be in the same shoes, the same situation. And we stay humble by knowing we are the same to God. We don't have to be impressive. We are equals in Christ. One preacher said that in this mechanism that we call the church, in this body of Christ with all these moving parts, humility is the grease that keeps all these things working and flowing together. And so Peter says, don't repay evil for evil, curse for curse. When you want to react and you want to just bite somebody's head off, you know, because sometimes you want to, bless their head off instead, Peter says. Return blessing for curses. And know that God's not going to not notice. He's going to see that. And God will bless you. His eyes are on you. His ears are on you. And they're going to deal with his whole face. 
Or listen, he said don't return evil for evil for the Lord's face is set against those who do evil. But listen, sometimes we do return evil for evil. I don't want the Lord's face set against me. Like I know I'm saved. I know I'm forgiven. But the scripture says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So I could be saved and on my way to heaven and still swimming upstream against God, working against God because of my pride and my lack of humility. No, I don't want that. I want to run downstream in that river of grace that just helps me flow the right way towards what God has for me. Amen? He'll settle the score. Verse 13, rhetorical question, general question. Peter says, if you live like that, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what's good? And generally speaking, the answer is no one. If you're humble and you're sympathetic and you're loving and you're generous and you're tender, generally, even the worst critics will go, oh, okay, that guy's legit. But there's exceptions, right? Jesus went about doing good. Jesus never did anything wrong. Jesus embodied all of those traits. How did it end for him? And he told us, listen, no servant's greater than his master. If they hated me, they'll hate you. So there are times when even all of our good deeds are going to be met with opposition, persecution, rejection, hatred. What do we do then? Peter says, well, look, in general, who's there to harm you if you're zealous for what's good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Remember, God's eyes are on you, his ears are on you, and he sees what they're doing too. Don't worry about it. Instead of getting all caught up in that and and letting this occupy this whole area of your life, instead, in your heart's Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Some versions say sanctify. And I know that I'm not sanctifying the Lord, making him more holy, but sanctifying means set apart. I'm putting him in, in, in the right place in my life, prioritizing him. And look what it says. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy in front of this watching jury, this courtroom, always being prepared to make a defense. There's a legal term. To any, it doesn't say be defensive, but be ready to explain, be ready to testify, be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, which they see because of all the other stuff, the brotherly love and the sympathy and the empathy and all that. They see it and they go, what's up with you? Why, why do you do that? Why don't you do this? And, and like any good legal counsel, Peter's making sure that we're ready to be on the stand. He's preparing us. Here's what you say. Here's what you don't say. Think about this. Be ready. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone that asks. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Peter assumes questions will come. Here's my question. Has anybody ever asked you why you live the way you live why you have the hope you have. If no one has ever asked you, if your life has never raised any questions in the people around you, if no one's ever like, hey man, you seem different than you used to, we should probably examine ourselves then and say, man, has my life changed since I came to Christ? Is there anything different about my life other than I drive to church on Sunday? What's changed in me? And and ask God to help you see that and ask him to help you grow because Peter assumes your life will raise questions. And you ought to be ready to answer them. And that doesn't mean you have to have a a Bible college degree. Uh, Newsflash, I don't have a Bible college degree. But it does mean 
that you ought to be ready to share what you know and what you have experienced. I love, I think it was Francis Chan, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something to the effect of discipleship is just passing on what you know about God. I mean, you can't pass on what you don't know. You can't pass on what somebody else knows, but you can pass on what you know. Hey, I once was blind, but now I see. I mean, the the New Testament is filled with people going around and testifying about Jesus, and they didn't have all their theology figured out. They hadn't even gone through the growth track yet. But they knew what Jesus did for them, and that was enough. In Mark chapter 5, there's a demon-possessed guy. He's, he's, He's nuts legions, thousands of demons. He's breaking chains. They can't contain him. He lives in a cemetery. He's crazy. Jesus shows up, heals him, delivers him, puts him in his right mind. And the guy's eager to get in the boat with Jesus and learn everything he could learn. And Jesus stops him and says, no, 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 no. You're not coming with me. Go home and tell people how good the Lord has been to you. Jesus thought he was already qualified to be a missionary and an evangelist after one day spent with him. So listen, we don't have to sit around and wait until we've got it all figured out and we've got all these answers. We live for Jesus. People notice and ask questions and we're ready to share whatever we can share. Prepare your testimony. That's what Peter would say. this, This world is a courtroom. Prepare your testimony. And wherever you're at right now is adequate for where you're at right now. But also, grow in this. Learn more. Study more. Put work in. Any good legal defense would would not let you even enter the courtroom without preparing your testimony. So at least think about, man, what is different in my life? Some of us, it's very obvious. Man, Pastor TJ, I used to be addicted, and, and Jesus changed my life. I used to be dealing drugs, and Jesus changed my life. I used to be a womanizer. Jesus changed my Whatever it is. Some of you, it's very obvious. But some of you grew up in the pew. And listen, if you're 45, you can tell me that you were raised in church and that you got saved when you were eight, but that should not be the most recent addition to that file of evidence. What has he done in your life lately? What, what's changed in the last five years in your character, in your patience, in your growth? Like, like this is a, you are living testimonies. God should still be working some stuff out of you, right? All right. <laughs> I guess. The world has great questions. We should have great answers. We should have great answers. We have the greatest message in the world let us, let us be ready to talk about it. And you know what? Sometimes a great answer is, I don't know. I'll look it up. I'll call my pastor. Who's going to say, I don't know. <laughs> I'll look it up. Sometimes a great answer is, you know, could we get coffee and talk about this? Or what do you think? Before I answer, what do you think? Or why are you asking? How did you, how did you land on this? Because oftentimes the the people that have questions about faith, it's not because they're trying to figure out all of the intricacies of their theology. It's because they're going through hurt, they're going through pain, they have objections to faith, and they want to know what's different with you. So they're focused on something that may not even really be the focus of their heart. And remember that it's not just your life talking. You've got to use words. You've got to open up. Be ready to explain the hope that you have. I hope that you have hope. I hope you have hope. I hope, man, if you know Jesus, I hope you're ready to talk about it and not be defensive. Some people are defensive. Some people are always ready to talk, but they miss the last part. Do it with gentleness and respect. 
Do it with gentleness and respect. I admire the guy that's bold enough to stand on a corner and yell the gospel at people, but I don't know if that's gentle or respectful. So let's have that kind of boldness, but let's, let's have precision and as we target hearts and we target people and we, we, we look in people and we try to encourage them in the hope that we have that is living hope. And then we get our motivator, as always. We get the reason all of this works. We're, we, we have this world watching. We're preparing this testimony. But our motivation behind all of that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Look at verse 18. Now, in the middle of this next section, we're going to see one of the most confusing verses in all the Bible. I don't think it matters all that much to you, so I'm not going to spend as much time on it as I have in like the marriage sermon and other things, but I will comment on it briefly, and you could look at it later. It is kind of neat, but it doesn't really affect what we're trying to accomplish today. So look at verse 18. For Christ also suffered, how many times? Once for sins. Man, I just wish some of you knew you don't have to suffer for your sin. You don't have to punish yourself. You don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to earn God's forgiveness again. If you'll trust in Christ, that suffering for sin has been accomplished. It's been done. Jesus says it's finished. It's done. You don't, you don't have to die for your sin. You don't have to suffer for your sin. It is finished. Christ suffered once for sin. The righteous, that's him. For the unrighteous, that's me and you that he might bring us to God. We were separated from God. He brought us to God, being put to death in the flesh. They killed Jesus' body, but they couldn't kill his spirit. He's made alive in the spirit. Here's the weird verse. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they didn't formally obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. So there's some spirits in the days of Noah that didn't obey, and Jesus went and proclaimed something to them. That's... Kind of wild. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is exactly eight people, were brought safely through water. Safely, if you know the story of Noah's ark, safely through the flood, Noah and his family. Baptism, which corresponds to this, maybe he's tying all this together. Jesus on the cross, Noah's ark, baptism, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, a clean slate through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who, I love this part, you want to know where Jesus is, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Jesus is in control. I want you to see something. Verse 19, another conversation for another time. If you're like, man, what's up with this? Suffice it to say, just like there's a physical realm that you and I see, there's a spiritual realm. And the world was very wicked in the days of Noah. And, in the, and just because it was wicked physically, it was also wicked spiritually. And there are some spirits that thought when Jesus was nailed to a cross, when Jesus was breathing his last breath, when he was placed in a tomb, there were some spirits that threw a party that thought we did it. We, we killed him. Well, they got an announcement from the king himself. Jesus proclaimed to the spirits in prison a little update. I stepped out the tomb. I'm still alive. You thought you killed me. 
And actually, the thing you thought you accomplished, my death just purchased life for the entire world. And anybody that ever believes in me, anybody that ever follows me, anybody that ever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You thought you killed me? (laughs) You thought you killed me? You saved the world. But his suffering, our salvation, is reminiscent of Noah's ark. And our baptism expresses that miracle. That's why we make a big deal out of baptism. That's why we got a thing over here. Some of y'all are visiting, and you're like, why is that thing missing light bulbs? Well, we, we, when you get baptized, we'll put another one up there. Every time somebody gets baptized, we celebrate that. Think about Noah's Ark for a moment. How many doors were there on Noah's Ark? One. There was one door. One way to be saved. Noah spent 120 years building the thing, begging people to join. Nobody joined but his own family. They entered one door and they left their old life behind them, never to be seen again. And they entered into this ark and they survived the flood. Listen, so it is when we surrender to Christ. There is one way. It's a narrow door. We leave our old life behind us and we enter into a place that only It's the only place that can save us. Listen, sometimes I wish there was 792 ways to God. I'd preach every single one of them. But the gospel is is inclusive and exclusive at the same time. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one gate. There's one door. There's one. That's pretty exclusive. But... Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord should be saved. God is is willing that none should perish. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that anyone who believes could be saved and have everlasting life. So it's, it's exclusive, but it's inclusive. Anybody can come. Anybody can know him. Anybody can enter that narrow door, leave their old life. And verse 21 is a little bit confusing. It says baptism now saves you. I want you to understand that baptism that it talks about right there is not this baptism. That's a picture of this baptism. This baptism is baptism into Christ. Peter even says it's not water washing away dirt. It's, it's accomplishing the resurrection of Christ. It's the new life in Christ. Baptizo. Everybody say baptizo. It's just fun to say. Baptizo into Christ. Baptizo means dip dunk or drown dip dunk drown three ways to enjoy cookies just go for it right simply it means immersed we are saved not by some water in a tank we are saved when we are immersed in Jesus we are washed we are covered as gruesome as it sounds we are covered in the blood that he shed on the cross for our sin and we enter a narrow gate and we leave our old lives and we are washed by him and we're made new listen the only baptism that saves Some people would tell you, man, you can come and make a decision for Christ, but if you don't get baptized in water, you can't go to heaven. That is a joke. Read your Bible. Read the story of the thief on the cross. Listen, there is one baptism that saves. It is dry. It is invisible. It is the baptism of your heart into the person of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be baptized in water to be saved. You should be saved in order to be baptized in water. And if you are saved, you should be baptized in water because Jesus was baptized. He gave a great commission and said, go into all the world, disciple people, baptize them. The whole early church, we see people surrender to the gospel. They're baptized on the spot. 
This is the pattern of following Jesus. Here's why. The world is watching. We have a testimony. And listen, when we're saved, we should go public with the verdict. You are guilty of sin, but our great judge has slammed the gavel and declared a pardon over your life. You should go public with that. Listen, Brooke and I did not get married in a back alleyway in secret and refuse to let anyone know. We had a wedding. We had invitations. We had a declaration. We put it on. We made a Facebook official, somebody. Come on. I put a ring on it. Go public with your faith. Jesus has pardoned you, though you were guilty. He was immersed in suffering so you could be immersed in salvation. He was baptized in pain so you could be baptized in peace. He plunged into death so you could plunge into new life. I know you're scared of public speaking. I know you're worried about being up in front of everybody. I know you don't want people to think differently about you. But listen, it's not about you. Put fear of man aside. Put awkwardness aside. Just realize this is about him. Go public for him. It is an honor to speak of what Jesus has done for you. If you're not a public speaker, if you're not a person that likes being up in front of everybody, make one exception. Don't say, honey, I love you, but I just don't want to stand in front of everybody. I would say I do, but I'm just not a public speaker. Go public with the one that you love and declare to the world. We have so many people in this church that came to know Jesus because somebody else invited them to their baptism. Be immersed in Jesus. Go public with your faith. Close your eyes for a moment with me, if you would, just for privacy. I've gone over my time. They left my mic on. (laughs) I just feel like this morning, I, I know there's a lot of Christians in this room. I know that. But you can be in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and not know God not be immersed in Jesus, not have your sins washed away, not be entering that narrow gate to new life and living hope. And so if by chance this morning you're here, I don't know if it's your first time, your millionth time, maybe you've raised your hand like this before, but you didn't, you didn't step into that walk up with God. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about you're a Christian, you messed up yesterday. You are not saved. You are not walking with Jesus. Right now, that can change. Right now, you can plunge into him. If that's you, would you raise your hand high enough for me to see it real quickly and put it right back down? Nobody's looking around but me. Would you just real quickly, anybody here? I say, Pastor TJ, I don't know Jesus. I need to. Today's my day. Okay. You may have not been ready for that. I respect that. Or maybe this is a room full of Christians. Maybe this room is full of Christians. Stand with me if you would. Look, even, even if we already know Christ, we can go public with our faith. Some of you are Christians that haven't been baptized. You need to take that step. Micah's going to tell you how to take that step. Some of you were afraid to do that publicly, but you want to talk to somebody later. I'd love to talk to you. Some of you, man, you just need a breakthrough in your life. You're a Christian, but you're dealing with stuff. You need a breakthrough. We're going to sing a perfect song. I want you to make this song your prayer. Let go of control. Let surrender to Jesus. Let's be immersed in him and see what he can do in our lives. Amen.
Jesus, we love you. Would you just lift your hands right now and begin to welcome his presence. Jesus, move in this room. Move in our hearts. Let this message take root in our heart. The world is watching. Let us live for you. Give us a breakthrough, Jesus. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For questions, prayer requests, and more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com.